that's the latest development in that field. And um, by Krishna here has been doing some very intense uh, cleaning, very deep cleaning all, all week, six, seven hours a day, eight hours a day. And um, he's very, he's glowing, you know, he's effulgent uh, as a result of that, as is everything he's been touching. So it's very inspiring. And uh, Brittany Rani has been doing a lot of editing. I think she's edited uh, 14, 14 chapters of my book now, first edit. And uh, so that's uh, proceeding. We were looking into developing a Hindi uh, publishing division of Darshan Press, translating my books in Hindi and Hindi and having them published in India. So Chaitanya Priya and um, Shastravani are the initial members of the tentative early uh, Hindi publishing division. We'll see, as you know, we have books in Polish and Spanish. And I, I just the other day received copies of the Spanish uh, translations um, of all oh, my friend, uh, Shikshastakam and Joe Self. Very, very nice. Um, and they're being, Padmanabh Marsh told me that when he went to Colombia recently, he did a seminar there and he, uh, I think he distributed 200 books. He could have done 400 if he could have carried them in a suitcase. So there seems to be an appetite for, for them in Latin America. Happy to hear that. Have to get him back down there with another suitcase full of books. So uh, that's good. Weather here is nice. Spring is trying to come. You know, the, the child of spring is trying to get free from the grips of old man winter here. So they're having their struggle back and forth. It's it's uh, a beautiful time at um, Aldaria. We have maybe about another month of our commercial dairy. As I said, we're we're, we're closing the commercial end of the dairy, and we had to give our clients, you know, a, a couple of months. So we have about one month left of that. Once that's um, closed, and we'll have more time for other projects here. So I'm looking forward to that. That's the news. So what are the questions this morning? Just to let you know, we have eight questions so far. But, mm -hmm. um, How so, many? Pardon? How many do you have? Eight. Eight. Okay, eight. Um, so the first one is from Bhakti Shakti. Need to unmute yourself and also everybody put on click on your English and click on mute original audio so that everyone can hear each other. Pronounce Guru Maharaj. Do you hear me? Yes. Hello. Oh. Yes. I can hear you. Maybe you can. Thank you. Um. Oh. Shakti, can you hear Gurmaraj? Can you hear me? Can't hear you now. 
Oh, go to the next I'm sorry, my, my connection dropped. Uh, I can ask it now or, or yeah. maybe. Okay, thank you. I was listening to, like, in some occasions I have heard uh, sometimes the, the language Brajbasa from the local Brajbasa, and it's a very beautiful, like, intonation and sound, and it's it sounds extremely, like, joyful and very amazing. And I was wondering... Um, can you say something about it? And if we have to concentrate on the language to like study a little bit more of it, is it the uh, Bengali or Sanskrit, which is more important to to study more? Like not to study complete, but maybe to by studying the shastras to accumulate some words and phrases and like that. Yeah, well, I think um, that uh, language is obviously a significant uh, um, aspect of a culture. Hmm? And um, the culture of Braj or Nadia, the, uh, of, of Chaitanya Bhakti, of Krishna Prem, um, was obviously originally expressed in Bengali and, and Sanskrit and uh, bridge boss I'm not actually very familiar with um, and I don't know how much it's spoken now um, it seems like Hindi's pretty prominent in in, uh, in 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 Vrindavan and then a lot of people speak Bengali there of course too uh, the, the just to go into Bridge Boss for a second, there are of course some some earlier works written in Bridge Boss by different saints, poet poems, poetic works about Krishna, Krishna Leela, and so forth. Uh, some important ones. Um, they're outside of our sampradaya, but um, they are um, concerned with um, more or less the same thing, of course, that we're concerned with the the Bridge Leela. Um, but at any rate, yes. Uh, as I was saying, language is an important aspect of a culture. So, <laughs> you know, to enter into um, that which from the hearts of great devotees is being expressed through the limits of language is difficult in and of itself. What is being of if the language is not your language? Hmm? So there's much to be said for learning Bengali or Sanskrit, I, I would say more than the bridge boss because all the literature um, is, is, is uh, what's well, all practically available in Bengali. Hmm? Um, the Goswamis, of course, and that was the beginning language through which Chaitanya Bhakti, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching was, was expressed. Um, you know, by himself, by Nityananda Prabhu, by um, those who were experiencing the manifestation of, of Gaurila as it happened. Later, the Goswamis wrote about it theologically in Sanskrit, which is more the universal religious uh, language at the time. And so that took a local Bengali notion of divinity and 
brought it into consideration of the nation, so to speak, or the greater uh, region of Bharat. And uh, within that, among the intellectual and uh, uh, educated sadhus hmm, uh, for consideration. So that, that was a big um, contribution, obviously, on the part of the Goswamis to write about um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Sanskrit. Uh, so um, it's a lot easier to learn Bengali than it is to learn Sanskrit. And so uh, I, I would I would recommend uh, that approach to uh, to most devotees interested in entering into the language. I mean, there's just so much to to learn and 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 feel through the language that's lost, you know, in, in in translation. A lot of the translations today into English of the texts um, of the Goswamis is very flat it's very it 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 doesn't do anything near um what it would do to someone who knew uh the language um in terms of uh bringing out emotion and um and so forth, with the use of different metaphors and drawing upon the, the culture of the time to express the ideas and so forth. So that's why if you're going to write, for example, as I do in English, you, you really want to have a, have, a, have a feeling for, the, for it and for the, for the teaching and also have a good command of the language, English language, to try to then do the same thing. I mean, a literal translation is not going to be as useful as a translation that understands the meaning and then puts it in words that will, in, in, in for example, in English, that will convey the feeling of it and draw people in, in the way that when the texts were written in Bengali or Sanskrit by uh, scholars of our sampradaya in days gone by were, were doing with the command of the language that they had. I mean, you know, Krishna Das Kaviraj was a, was a scholar. So, I mean, he wrote, you know, a whole of Chaitanya Charitamrita, thousands of verses, poetry, describing the, the, actually, accurately depicting the Leela and then the theology and the philosophy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu—it's—it's like a, an extraordinary literary um, contribution. The Bhagavad itself is an extraordinary literary contribution in comparison to any other book in its genre, any other any other Purana. So there's a lot to be said. Anyway, I don't want to go on about it, but a lot to be said for learning the languages. Um, and I would recommend that someone that had an interest in, in that would uh, begin. To learn Bengali, which is a very, very, very sweet language um, itself, and was of course the native tongue of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. So, um, you know, that's that's part of the whole larger discussion of um, the modern world cultures outside of India, outside of Bengal, and then 
in the in the context of those cultures, understanding and re um, and applying, I should say, the essence of the uh, of uh, Chaitanya Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Bengali Vaishnavism. Oh, you know, some people want to take strip away all types of Indian features uh, in the name of being spiritually uh, essential, for example, in, in the United States. And um, I, I think that's, that's certainly an extreme that, that which much would be lost. So to bring some balance um, is an art. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said in that regard for um, taking the time to understand the language that, uh, that the teaching originated in and was originally spoken in and and that and it's so much about it has been written in that will do a great um command of that language to be on the part of anyone would really enhance their capacity to um enter into what was what it was spoken there and short of that of course or better than that perhaps is to have someone who's very well situated in understanding that can speak about it in your own language or a language that you're fluent in that um, that does what I said earlier, that not just a literal flat kind of a translation, but a whole purport, you know, into the, into the verse, if you will, adapting from those texts and putting it in, in, um, in English words with the same kind of feeling. So those are my thoughts. Thank you very much. Good question. There's a comment by, by Sarda. She says, for me, as I'm half Bengali, the Bengali seems more important and feels more sweet and heartfelt, I guess she means, than Sanskrit. However, with others, it might be different. Haribol, Haribol. Haribol, Haribol. I certainly agree with you. Therefore, I mean, I mean, Hare Krishna. Respect. <laughs> yes. We went silent. Well, I think that. Um, what the question seems to be about, if I understand it, is the idea that the Atma is a witness and that um, um, by its presence and proximity, let's say, to material nature um, through the medium of, of attachment, which an Atma has the capacity to... to um, to do, to be attached. Matter doesn't have the capacity to be attached, so to speak, to have feeling. Um, so through the power of its its uh, inherent capacity to, to have feelings, to experience feelings, qualitative experience, to, to have qualitative experiences, I guess you could say, in proximity to matter, 
um, matters activated and microcosmically, of course, a body is, is formed, the a sense of identity, ahankar, buddhi, discrimination, uh, chitta, desires, thoughts, um, um, and so forth. And then the gross body made up of the, of the senses. There are subtle senses as well. The senses are really thought to be situated in the subtle body and then they have apertures um, on, the, on the physical body. But um, all that psychic and physical matter is activated by the witnessing Atma. Um, now, when we say that the Atma is a witness, um, we have a different idea about that in Gaudiya Vedanta than, for example, in uh, uh, Patanjali's yoga philosophy. There, he's, the Atma is depicted as such a, a witness that it has no agency. It, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't cause anything to happen in um, in regard in relation to material nature. So we, we don't agree with that uh, perspective. We think that the Atma, yes, it's a witness, but it's also an agent of action. So uh, to put it one way, some things happen only because somebody's looking at them. If somebody wasn't looking, they wouldn't happen. So somehow or other, the Atma is, is an agent of action and um, has an influence upon um, matter. Now, your question is, is that while these senses are acting and we're witnessing, well, that was part of your question, but the actual question is, and I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of forgetting a little bit, but forgive me, but um, I think that there's a difference between witnessing the function of the senses in terms of their normal activities and participating through the senses in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna. Um, I wouldn't look at that as just like something I'm witnessing. Mm -hmm. Whereas in yoga, the normal functions of the senses, the, 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 their interaction with the sense objects, yes, one's a witness of them. But when it comes to actively engaging the, the senses in Krishna Bhakti, hmm, well, that's much more participatory, I would say, than it is um, witnessing. And it's a spiritualizing both of the sense objects and the, and the senses themselves. So the sadhaka deha in Gaudiya Vaishnavism takes on a spiritual uh, quality. Prabhupada used to compare the sadhaka deha to a gold-plated box and the siddha the internal meditative body, to a gold box. So a gold-plated box, for all intents and purposes, looks like a gold, a gold box. Um, there are statements in the scripture that, that go further in terms of spiritualizing, if you will, the, uh, the, the, the senses. Um, so I think there's, there's something to be said in relation to your question um, that differentiates, as I have, between the witnessing of a yogi 
of the functioning of the senses, his breathing, you know, and whatnot, uh, and and the way in which a devotee uh, participates sensually in sadhana bhakti. Sadhana bhakti is is basically bhakti performed with the senses, even without emotive um, an emotive motor, uh, because uh, bhava has not yet um, manifest through association, through um, intellect, um, one uh, and bhakti samskars, one becomes engaged in bhakti with the senses, hearing and chanting and so forth. So that's very different than the yogi's life, um, to make the comparison, um, which the word witness, you know, bring, brings to mind for me. Um, and of course, then, as this body is engaged, the body being mean consisting of senses, gradually then bhava manifests, and then continue to engage with the, the same senses. And it's the, the motor behind that, the, the, the force that's driving that is the emotion, emotional component of bhakti, the bhava, the feeling. And, you know, the, the, that's a very different kind of life than just um, looking at the Atma as a witness. I, that, that's my thoughts. I don't know if I've answered your question sufficiently, but, um, but, but yeah, but aside from that, you know, yes, there, there's some basic, basically something to be said for um, differentiating, this is gyan, but, you know, that's part of bhakti also, uh, differentiating the body from the self uh, with one's intellect and um, and uh, employing that yogic perspective to some extent. Hope that helps. If there's a further comment or question you'd like to raise in relation to that, um, feel free to do so. Yes, Maharaj. Thank you very much. You hear me? Arjun? Thank you. Yes. Yes, I can hear you, but we can't hear. No. No. ¿Qué piensas? ¿Está bien o...? Es okay, más sorry. explanación. Eh, sí, muchas gracias por la respuesta y, y me ayudó bastante. No, no podemos. Me ayudó bastante con la percepción de la pregunta. Ok. Gracias. David Apati. Okay, mm. uh, how to understand in the best way, the saying and how to apply it, if it is possible. Uh, this, uh, in the morning that we should beat the mind with 100 times with the shoes and in the evening 100 times with the broomstick. How to understand it and how to apply it. Right. right. These are statements mm-hmm. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur. And uh, I wouldn't make too much more out of them than um, the fact that the mind is the seat of desire and 
it as a result is distracting us from our practice and it many ideas thoughts are conjured up there as to what might be uh, desirable but we as a Saranagata, as a surrendered soul, we'll not listen to the mind, but we'll listen to what's favorable for bhakti, that'll be good. What's unfavorable for bhakti, that'll be bad. We make our determination there. Then as much as we can really do that with earnestness, is as quickly as we will transcend the dualities that are um, arising through the limited medium of perception in the form of the mind and the senses. So the mind and the senses dictate to us that this is good or this is bad. And we, we, we each live in a little world of our own goods and bads, happies and sads, and so forth. But we have another criterion now. If it's good for Krishna, bhakti, um, then, then it's good even if it doesn't feel good. And if it's bad, unfavorable for Krishna Bhakti, even if it would be pleasurable to my mind and senses, I reject it. As much as you can do that, which is not easy to do, this, but it's a, it's a relatively easy way to transcend hot, cold, good, bad, happy, and sad, that by contrast, yogis are trying to accomplish by the difficult approach of, for example, submerging himself in freezing cold water up to the neck in the coldest month of the of the year and saying to themselves, cold is only a perception of the mind, hmm? or sitting in the hottest day of the year surrounded by fire and saying, heat is only in the mind. That's still difficult to do compared to um, the bhakti approach, which isn't easy at, either, but comparatively, it's easy. And um, so to beat the mind with a shoe, to beat it with a broom, I mean, he's basically telling us that, uh, that there are better um, persons to listen to than the mind. The mind is like a thief who, after robbing the bank, runs into the public spec- sector and says, thief, thief, someone just robbed the bank. So everyone, which way did he, he went that way. So everybody thanks him and runs the opposite way. This is how deceitful, treacherous, if you will, the the mind is sometimes uh, depicted to be, and I think accurately so for the yogi. Uh, So to control the mind um, is central to all forms of yoga and bhakti yoga is not excluded in that regard. We say that bhakti yoga is easier and user-friendly, and it is, but we have to apply ourselves to those practices of bhakti yoga with as much effort as the yogi who submerges himself up to his neck in the cold water and so forth. When we hear about the yoga samadhi, I was speaking with Padmanabharsh about um, what was it, uh, Prakriti Nirvan, another type of Nirvana, merging with matter, 
with the different in element ingredients of matter, even the pradhan and so forth. Um, and uh, you know, some yogis uh, attain this and they can be indefinitely uh, suspended there and it's blissful, and, uh, but it's not a liberated position. But the endeavor that they undertake to attain that position would probably scare the the you know the this the the uh, the tea lock off of the of the head of most devotees, hmm? <laughs> a face of devotees. The effort that they put in to attain that, what we have to understand is that that our object of attainment exceeds that a trillion billion fold. Hmm? Our means to attain it is comparatively easier. But we have to put in that much effort or more, and we should be inspired to put in that much more effort. Mm -hmm. So when we say it's easy, it's effortless, comparatively, yes. In one sense, as I've often said, our effort is to is to is to acquire grace. That's true. But um, look at the effort, for example, of, of Mother Soda to try to tie up Krishna. She was perspiring and Making it, that that's kind of sometimes given as 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 an example. So you know, with regard to controlling the mind, putting the mind, fixing the mind on Krishna. Okay, you know, what is a a yogi? How what effort a yogi is putting in, and what effort are 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 we putting in every day to fix the mind upon Krishna? Hmm? So. You're not going to get the results just by having this as your religion and then learning the teaching and then regurgitating it to other people. Um, you have to put it in into your serious practice. And Manusyanam you you have to live with that. It's not easy. But there's no alternative if you understand it. <laughs> So I think those statements are just about the fact that one has to be vigilant with regard to um, observing, to go back to Martin's question earlier, observing the mind and where it's going in the wrong direction and, and, and bringing it back um, and so forth. That's what the Thakurs, Sarsky Thakurs, speaking about. Thank you very much. Okay, Eric. Uh, Dandavats and good morning, Maharaj. Good morning. So uh, my question is regarding uh, a passage I recently read in the fourth chapter of the fourth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, where Lord Brahma spoke to Lord Shiva after the events of uh, Daksha's sacrificial ceremony and Sati leaving her body. So um, in verses 42, 43, and 46 of this chapter, Lord Brahma says some things that were kind of confusing to me. Um, he says the following, um, My dear Lord Shiva, I know that you are the controller of the entire material manifestation, the combination father and mother of the cosmic manifestation and the supreme Brahman beyond the cosmic manifestation as well. You create this cosmic manifestation, maintain it and annihilate it by expansion of your personality exactly as a spider creates, maintains and winds up its web. 
Devotees who have fully dedicated their lives unto your lotus feet certainly observe your presence as Paramatma in every, each and every being. And as such, they do not differentiate between one living being and another. So I'm a bit confused as to why Lord Brahma says all of this to Lord Shiva, as many of these statements, such as reference to being Supreme Brahman, Paramatma, being the source of creation, sustenance, and destruction, that seems like they would only be applicable to Krishna or personalities within the category of Vishnu Tattva. And from my understanding, Lord Shiva is in a separate, like, distinct category of Shiva Tattva. So um, could you please clarify this? Thank you. Well, Shiva is a complex uh, person, and there are many different manifestations of Shiva, but the kind of the pinnacle of the Shiva Tattva is the, is the Sadashiva, who is thought to be one with, with Mahavishnu. So he seems to be um, speaking in the highest sense um, from a Tattva point of view and identifying uh, Shiva in, with Vishnu, distinguishing him from the other gods, the other people of the world, other types of entities and so on and so forth. Um, and um, we discussed this the other day on Advaita Saptami, the appearance of Advaita Acharya, who's thought to be the 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 the, the Shiva uh, of uh, along with Haridas Brahma, Brahma and Shiva of of uh, Krishna Lila. At the same time, um, Advaita Acharya is readily identified with Mahavishnu. So, so the the, 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 the Shiva is kind of a the, let's take the glance of Shiva for example. Is is an aspect of Mahavishnu. So I, I think he's speaking along those lines, in terms of along those terms, in, in with regard to Shiva Tattva. From a Tattva point of view, again, I think we give him a high position as as um, what is what is his name? Um, um, Sadashiva. Sadashiva. When we say Sadashiva, we mean about like not any partial manifestation of Shiva in the world, but eternal, who lives in the Parvyam also. So, and he has two sides as a devotee in Shiva Lok, in, 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 in Mahesh Dham, and, um, and then as, as the uh, as the creator of the world. From a Rasic point of view, of course, then we, we place him uh, as Shiva in Goloka. Um, next, you know, next to the, at the gate of the, of the Rasa dance is Gopishwar. So I think that's how to look at those verses. Does that help? Yes, thank you. That, that helps a lot. It's also along those lines. It's also said that it's it's an offense to the holy name to consider Vishnu and Shiva to be different. It's one of the ways of interpreting it. I think the second offense. Why we should distinguish between Krishna and the and the gods? Shiva's in another category. Hmm? Okay, that makes sense. And, and the yeah. Think Brahma. Haridas got it right there. He didn't commit that offense. <laughs> Namacharya, Vijay. What else? So this next question is um, 
Jeremy, and he asked me to ask it, um, can one be a devotee of Krishna and obtain him without having taken vows? Is Sadashiva the form of Shiva with Parvati who can give liberation as stated in Brihat Bhagavatamrita? Uh, well, I think that Sadashiva does have his consort there in, in, in Mahishtam. Hmm. Um, so in that sense, yes. What else? So did you hear that question from Jeremy? Can one be a devotee? Can you hear me? Kumaraj? Now I can. You Go can. Ahead. Okay. Can one be a devotee? Of, no. It's a bad. bad connection, huh? It's not good. I can't. I can't make out what you're saying. Okay. Try again. Okay. Um, can one be a devotee of Krishna and obtain him without having, having taken vows. Can't hear it. You can read it. No, it's I can, I'd have to copy it. Um, I can do that. Let me copy and paste. Well, I heard one be a devotee of Krishna. Okay. I'm gonna... Yes, you, your connection is good. What's the question? Without accepting vows, Jeremy. Well, um, one aspect of Sharanagati, which is the outer expression of Shraddha or faith, um, and the central focus in terms of Bhakti's culture in the stage stages to, of Sadhana Bhakti, Sharanagati. Uh, to develop this kind of uh, surrender, uh, resigning oneself to Krishna. Uh, two aspects of that Sharanagati are Pratikul and Anukul. Anukul esi Sankalpa, Pratikul esi Varjana. And we mentioned them earlier um, with regard to transcending the duality of material existence by accepting what's favorable for Krishna's service, rejecting what's unfavorable. So the spirit, Bhakti Thakur explains, behind this aspect of Sharanagati, Pratikul Anukul, Anukul, accepting, rejecting the unfavorable, accepting the favorable, is a commitment, a vrata, a vow, a promise. Hmm? That's the spirit behind it. Hmm? So you can't, how can you be a Sharanagata without that kind of a um, commitment? So that's not probably answering exactly to what you're asking. You're probably thinking about certain vows maybe that some devotees take that maybe perhaps are difficult for you or for other people that you know, and you're wondering if they can become Krishna conscious without accepting them or or something, but it's but it's related. It's 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 connected. Uh, 
it's relative, of course, to our who our guru is. Our guru may ask us to have a certain measure of commitment. Another guru may have other items that um, he or she is concerned with and only willing to accept a disciple um, if if they're they are willing to accept those um, those type of commitments. Um, so that it depends who your who your guru is, but it, it, in, a, in a in a broader sense, as I'm answering, no would be the answer. Uh, there has to be that kind of commitment to uh, and resolve, uh, which is central to accepting a vow. I won't. I will not do this. This is not favorable to bhakti. Hmm? I will not. Uh, you know. Let's say you know, Prabhupada had a commandment like uh, not to take intoxication. I will not take intoxication. I make a commitment to this. This did not help me about. So that's an example. Um, different gurus may have different things, as I say, but I think it's it's, it's really not possible to, to um, avoid, in principle, making a, a commitment. Hmm? Um, and then within within the context of bhakti, there are all types of vows that one may one may take to try to, you know, with an effort to increase their their bhakti, their their absorption, their their practice during different days of the year and uh, times of the year and so forth. Different vratas or vows are um, suggested. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we that that, that by making a, a vow and being unable to to live up to it, that all is lost. That's not necessarily the case either. Um, indeed, the this, this stage of Anishta Bhajana Kriya, where one's practice is, is not perfect and it's up and down, is a stage that comes after one is actually practicing, which involves accepting uh, initiation and whatever you know kind of commitments that, that, that go with that. Um, but Vishnu Chakravartakuna, his Madhurya Kadambani, characterizes it as, as a stage where vows are made and they can't be kept hmm. often. Um, I'm going to chant a, a lack of day now for a month and hmm, can't do it. Um, so it's not that all is lost, hmm. but um, we should try our best and, 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 and make a commitment. Hope that helps. Um, Pedro, unmute yourself, ask your question. Yes. Of course, the Mahabharata and the Bhagavatam are two different uh, genres of sacred texts, and um, they deal with um religious life spiritual ideals and so forth uh differently so the focus in mahabharat is largely uh, the the moral life hmm? moral and, eth and ethical life at the same time what really gives the mahabharat life <laughs> because the moral adherence and the moral life, the moral rule, if you will, for humans 
I've compared to like living in a cage. Mm -hmm. You've come from animality to humanity, and we've got to take that animality out of you and cage you so that you say, thank you, please, you first, excuse me, um, and so on and so forth. And in human life, the, the, the fact that you have some will as a jiva is coming to the fore a little bit more so you can do things voluntarily rather than just being under the force of nature as a result of your previous karma and so forth as in the case of lower forms of life, less complex forms of life. So, so we cage the human with moral life, but the idea is to get out of the cage also. So rules are made to be, to be, to be broken. They have a purpose by which uh, they, they point remotely in the, they point away from animal life, if you will, and faintly towards um, transcendence and the freedom to be an adulterer, as Krishna is. <laughs> That's a way of putting it, of course. See how the see how the transcendence is depicted. Krishna is in the, in the gopis are are committing adultery. They're beyond the rules. Hmm? That doesn't mean that we just, we do these things so that we can commit adultery in human society, but it means that, that the rules have their limitations. Hmm? So the moral life um, is the main focus, in one sense, of the Mahabharata. Hmm? But when you come to the Gita, which is, Placed in the Mahabharata at the just the, at the most exciting time, you know this this, this 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 diplomacy has been going on. The atrocities of the of Duryodhana have built up, and uh, it's come to the point where there's a breakdown in in any hope for um, diplomacy to resolve the situation. There's going to be a war. Wow! So all this political and uh, uh, intrigue and, and, and human. Uh, emotion and so forth and everyone's on the edge of their seat and here comes Bhagavad Gita which now takes it to another level right immediately right right in the second chapter Krishna begins with it take it to uh, another uh, level life is human life is about transcending even even the, the limits of of uh, the civilized cultured religious moral um, life and by contrast, the latter, which is focused on in the Gita, developed more fully is the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. It's about rasa. Bhagavad Gita goes in that direction, and, and I like to say the theological sequel to the Gita is the, is the, is the Bhagavatam. Um, so the life of Krishna. And, and so there you're going to get a different focus. So it's the characters that are going to be talked about in the different texts are going to be talked about from different angles. How is Krishna talked about in the Mahabharata? Not like he's talked about in the, in other, in the, in the, uh, in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Uh, to some extent, you could get the idea. He's, he's a, he's a divine figure. He's, a, he's God. But in the Bhagavatam, 
Um, and he, he's he's being tied up by Mother Yasoda. <laughs> so it's it's on a whole different level. So the, so it's an example. Krishna is spoken about differently in the Mahabharata than he is in the Bhagavatam. So Bhishma will as well, relative to the angle of vision that the text is taking and how that text is trying to introduce to society um, or speak to society, human society, about transcendence. And there are different levels of speaking about that to different people in different circumstances and different times. So the Mahabharata is a particular way of um, speaking about it. And the Bhagavatam is, is quite, quite, quite different in its focus. Um, we, of course, as Gaudias also look at the Bhagavatam as the hub around which the whole wheel and orbit of all other scriptural texts um, circle. So if we want to understand the Mahabharata, if we want to understand this Upanishad or that Purana and the different statements there, we have we look at them in relation to the Bhagavatam. Hmm? If they contradict the Bhagavatam in some way, which tells us that, that, that there's relativity in the scripture, then we look at it as teaching according to that time and circumstance for that purpose and so forth, but not as an absolute um, um, mandate, for example. Hmm? Krishna may be talked about differently in different scriptures. Shiva may be talked about differently in different scriptures. But how does he talked about in the Bhagavatam? Hmm? We look at those other statements in relation to that. Hmm? And then we determine their 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 value on a, on a scale and, and, and to the extent we determine the extent to which they apply to us. Not all statements apply to us necessarily. We're on a particular path. We're on the, the Paramahamsa Marg of the Bhagavatam. So mandates in other Puranas, but sometimes some, some devotees pull up some obscure Purana, some statement there and think it's like central and so forth, may have nothing to do with us whatsoever. Or in Dharma Shastra from the uh, Manasmriti or something like that, for example. Um, so um, it's good to have a you know a more a broader idea of how these different texts are speaking about the same thing, but to different persons and on different levels and emphasizing and, and so forth. And this is one of the beautiful contributions of of uh, our sampradaya through the pen of Jiva Goswami and his uh, Sandarvas. He's he's um, located the Bhagavatam as the central hub again, around which all the other texts orbit and in relation to which they're understood in context. So the, the devotion of Bhishma Dev is, yes, it's brought out much more in, in the Bhagavatam. We find that uh, Bhishma Dev wanted to see Krishna break his promise. Hmm? If he was willing, he made a promise not to bear any um, weapon during the battle. Hmm? And so Bhishma Dev wanted to defeat, Ar- put Arjuna in such a position that unless Krishna raised a weapon, Arjuna would not be spared. Bhishma Dev wanted to see whether Krishna loved Arjuna more, and was more committed in his love to Arjuna and his protection than he was to any other commitment he may have made. 
for example, not to raise, not to raise a weapon. So when when Arjun was um, on the verge of being defeated, slayed, killed by Bhishmadev, well, Krishna took the wheel of the chariot and turned it into a chakra and came after Bhishmadev, and that was it. Bhishma was satisfied. I knew you were Bhakti Vatsal. I knew I, I knew that 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 you're you can't be trusted except by your devotees. They can trust you. <laughs> Nobody else necessarily you might. And then this he was satisfied with this. And then he of course he's he's defeated by Krishna and on the bed of arrows, he offers beautiful prayers and so forth. So the fullness of who Bhishma is is certainly there in the Bhagavatam more than in his heart is there. Instrument Bhagavatam. It's not found uh, showcased to the same degree in Mahabharat. Vishmadev, Mahajan Kijai. Thank you, um, So it's, we have one minute left. Would you like to take a quick question? Or? Yeah, how many more do you have? Um, well, we have Vijay has a question, and then Chidahari had a question if there was time. Let's hear Chidahari's question. Let me know answer. Yes. Um, this is not a, it's more of a dharmic question, I guess you could say. I was reading through one of your old clarion call articles on consciousness and sound. And in it, uh, the point was made that the intent that the sound is created with is more important than the, than the music right, itself. And that got me thinking about this as a discussion now in society of whether or not one can separate art from artist. And I was wondering what your thoughts would be on that. Yeah. Whether you can separate art from artists? Yes. Yeah. Whether you can separate the art from the artist. In other words, uh, the argument is that a lot of the aesthetic value of art is one thing, whereas uh, a lot of these artists that have made these great works are, have been shown to be really horrible people in their lives. Their character is bad. But that, but their, their art, if we are to, if based on that, not look at their art, then we're missing out on a lot of aesthetic value. So, um, But the, the point that was being made in the articles of the Clarion Call was that mm -hmm. musicians, for example, have a, a duty to society to put out content there, that they do have a responsibility in what they create. Society. Well, I'm not familiar entirely with the uh, current argument that you, you you bring up for the discussion, but I kind of understand in terms of how you presented it. But I don't know. I, I would think that um, that an, an, an artist uh, could have been a horrible person by today's standards, or left an ideal person by today's standards, um, and. Uh, maybe even by the standards at the time in which he or she lived, but still have something good about them and extraordinary uh, that uh, is represented in their art. Uh, people are complex and you know multi-dimensional, so even the worst person, um, uh, even the greatest uh, you know mafia guy, has love for his daughter or something, and, and you know, and might say something very beautiful, heartfelt that would be, you know. Uh, poem that would be worth reciting and uh, and uh, um, showcasing 
Um, and of course, then the other point is, you know, you know it's, it's, it's not really fair entirely to judge people uh, of previous times and cultures by standards of our time and culture. Uh, it's very, um, you know, we're different people. And we're, we're, we're wired different. We're, we're, as the material world is always changing, always developing and so forth. So it's something new about it. So you need sometimes new moral and ethical you know, positions uh, uh, on issues that wouldn't have been issues in the past going forward. As if there's a, there's a term called presentism, which is judging people of the past by the present. I like to give the example of Abraham Lincoln, who was judged um, to be a great person because of his um, fight for abolition, uh, abolition to abolish slavery. But he also said that, um, of course, the slaves could never run for office, obviously, because they're, you know, they're less people, you know, would be the implication, you know. Um, but that's how that's how they, what they were like at the time in terms of the, 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 the environment was such that all that they could be had, was not being facilitated. And, and so that's, uh, you know, the, was, that wasn't understood. And so we don't, we don't call him a terrible man and take down his statue because he said that. We think, you know, he had the fortitude and the insight in his time to uh, liberate the slaves and struggle you know, in the political arena, uh, even in the face of the war and so forth, to, to make that happen. But I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. Um, but, in, but I think, you know, in, the intent is, 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 I don't know how you can, you know, even in law, you know, intent is everything. You murder somebody, but you don't intend to, it's called manslaughter. If you kill somebody uh, unintentionally, more there is intent behind a crime, the more culpable um, one is. So Baba Grahi Janardana said, the feeling, the intention is, is, is everything. Um, so those are some, some thoughts. As we, as we kind of run out of time here. Mm-hmm. So it's now what over oh, a little bit over time. So anyway, okay. If you didn't get your question answered, uh, please come back and tune in. Tune in next week. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much. Beautiful. And devotees, stay on. I have a couple of announcements. Umash, thank you so much. Um. Okay, uh, announcements. We're having um, a series of classes taught by Vivek um, for at least the next month, maybe two months. Um, and it'll be every day at 11.30, um, there'll be a class. Mondays, um, 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. Mondays, Swami is continuing his Vaishnav etiquette classes. Tuesday, Ashram Swami is giving a series of classes on Sharanagati, the path of surrender. Wednesdays, 11.30, Dulal Chandra will be giving um, series on Krishna Sandarbha. 
Thursdays, Padmanabha Swami um, will be giving another class on Vaishnava etiquette. Fridays, um, 11.30, Rigupad will be doing the Mana Shiksha, Instructions to the Mind. And Saturdays, Gora Sundar will be giving an overview of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 2. And then Sundays will be our um, questions and answers um, with Gurumaraj. And um, we also have um, two dates for to put in your calendar. We have Gore Praneem, March um, 28th, and we have March 27th, which is um, Gurumaraj's um, uh, Vyas Puja Day. So he'll be giving class on both of those days at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. So um, it'll be a very enlivening two days, and we hope everybody will be able to join. Um, and I think that's it for now. And we'll see everybody tomorrow, maybe. We'll see some of you tomorrow for Vaishnava class. Can you hear me? Hi, and thank you to the devotees that had sent me some um, suggestions for um, things to um, help kind of create more community in the Sangha. Um, and I'm going to be discussing those with Pamela Swami when he comes to, comes here in another week and a half. So have some ideas and new things maybe for, for everyone. So thank you all so much. And, thank uh, you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Oh, and also to the devotees too that um, have sent some donations to continue the um, this Zoom um, call because um, yeah, it's an expensive uh, feature having the translating translation feature. So. Um, if anybody else is inclined to want to help out with um, with the cost of the, uh, the Zoom account, um, they can um, contact me um, at archanacity.com. It's A-R-C-A-N-A-S-I-D-D-H-I. And also, um, Aradhana put something up on um, Sri Chaitanya Sangha as well. And we have gotten um, a couple donations. Um, we thank those devotees very, very much for their help. Okay, so we'll see everybody soon. Are you Krishna? May I suggest something, if I can suggest something? Because there uh, on the website, Swami Tripurari, you can like... Uh, help us, there is donation. And then for Madhuvan, for this, that. Usually I'm always giving for Madhuvan. This is option. I go to PayPal and I give some donation every month. So it would be good that there in this menu also is there uh, help Zoom conference. And then you go very slightly, uh, easily uh, make. So maybe this is a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll talk to Bhakti Ras. I think she's mm -hmm. the um, administrator for that. Okay, well, that's a great idea. Yeah, then that way we could just have a steady flow and wouldn't have to keep um, be asking people to, to donate. That would be great. Okay, well, thank you so much, all of you, and 
Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Hare Krishna. Jai Hari Bo. Jai Hari Bo.